0: Hi everyone, and welcome to The Sweep, Southwest exciting, energetic people, Nafax Southwest's very own podcast coming at you from the beautiful San Diego, California. And we're here talking about what the command is all about. We'll hear stories from various people talking about their experiences around the command, along with entertaining, informative topics. Nafac Southwest stands for Naval Facilities Engineering Command Southwest and we plan, build, and maintain sustainable facilities, delivering environmental utilities and other critical base services. I'm Lynn Pence, your host, so let's get started. Hi everyone, I have with me Captain Michael O. Stryker, who is the commanding officer for Nafac Southwest and also the regional engineer for Navy Region Southwest. How are you today, sir?
1: I'm doing wonderful.
0: Good. I'm at <laughs> And we also have Elise Maxerly, who is the Human Resources Director. So tell us a little bit about yourself, sir.
1: A little bit about myself. Um, about 33 years ago, I couldn't figure out how I was going to pay for college. Okay. And I went ahead and applied for an ROTC scholarship. I picked it up. And my plan was to do a four-year payback tour. Okay and then get out of the Navy, <laughs> and uh, here Where we are. are you from? I'm originally from Colorado. Oh, wow. I'm a huge Denver Broncos fan. Oh, there you go. Which causes a little <laughs> friction in the workspace with the Chargers fans, the Chargers and fans <laughs> a few Raiders, a few 49ers fans. Do you ever go back home? We do. We typically get home at least once a year. OK, I have family
0: in uh, Colorado Springs in Denver, oh. so we go there ever so often. <laughs> yeah, it's a,
1: it's a wonderful place, and I miss the mountains. That's right. Mountains,
0: why I, yes, definitely. What are your goals and visions that you have for us?
1: Boy, my goals and visions. Um, <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, um, I see myself as um, a pulling guard for the entire team. Mm-hmm. And so my goal is to try to figure out how myself and the leadership team here at the NAFAC Southwest Corps can remove obstacles for all of the people that work for us um, so they can do their job. And their job is to enable all of our supported commands and at most of our bases those supported commands either man train mm-hmm. and equip um, sailors marines and at travis airmen and uh, and in some cases at some of our installations they actually operate so my goal is to figure out how to enable that right. support to all those supporter commands because uh, those sailors marines and airmen are defending our nation
0: great so i know that you've been here for about a year correct, correct? so what has changed in your eyes as far as within this year?
1: Well, obviously COVID has changed. Yes, please enlighten us with that. (laughs) It has impacted every single thing we do. Um, And so it's it's stressed the organization. I think uh, personally, professionally, um, it's created a lot of angst. Um, It's also created some opportunities. So who would have thought that we would have as many people teleworking as we do And we're still meeting the majority of the mission requirements. Um, And so that's one thing that's absolutely changed. And we're continuing to work through it because all you have to do is watch the news on any given day and there are spikes and there's valleys and things are changing and the rules are changing. And I would say probably every day or two, we get new guidance from someone above us to tell us to change this, change that. And we try to figure out how to uh, put that into plain English and right. into summary summary form, so that our workforce can implement it. Um, the other thing I'd say that has changed in the year that I've been here is um, a strong esprit de corps with respect to everyone rallying about why we serve and and what is um, the purpose behind you know NAFAC, right? Because it's not. Um, to get a paycheck. It's not to just finish a design, right? It's right. to actually enable those warfighters to meet their mission requirements. And it seems like the more I get out into the field, although it's been a while since I've been able to travel to the field because of COVID, but the more I get out of the field, the more that it seems to be resonating with our workforce and, and kind of motivating them um, so that it's not just a hire, right? We're hiring a boiler mechanic who then is enabling the training to go on for the ship that's about to deploy to the Arabian Gulf or to the South China Sea. And uh, so I I just get excited every time I go out to the field and see that they're starting to connect. And maybe they've always connected, and I just haven't uh, known that. But um, they're really connecting with the mission support aspect of what we do.
0: I like how you drive home the mission aspect because we were talking about. We always talk about this as far as supporting the mission, no matter what you do, whatever position you have within NAFAC Southwest. That's that's the goal is to support the mission,
2: right? At least. Yes. Yeah. We had a great conversation with Vernon Hunt on um, our last episode, and he talked about you know those unsung heroes, the folks that you you take for granted sometimes. You know, us working in this office setting, um, we take for granted how important they are to to ensuring that we can do. Uh, our jobs uh, and therefore further enable that mission. So I, I love how we've had these conversations and in, in tying together the criticality of every single person that we have in this command.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, my most recent site visit was to Naval Base San Diego where we are renovating a building for maritime skills training, which is going to allow our uh, surface warfare officers and their um, entire um conning team, to train like they're going to be deployed, especially in a high-risk environment where there's uh, other forces, there's lots of other ships, there's lots of other traffic, and and we are enabling that through a construction project. Likewise, the week before that, I was able to go to the um, MPO team, and they were doing some significant crane lifts, and they do them every day, And they're loading radars and all kinds of interesting equipment on vessels that are getting ready to deploy. And, you know, it's when you go and do those site visits, those field visits, that it reinvigorates. Holy crud. You know, our team is making a positive impact every day for the fleet.
0: BD Kathy kind of said the same thing when she kind of goes out there and just, you know, seeing the faces and uh, really getting to know and talk to the people. um, It's just it's a it's a good feeling. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And I, uh, I know, sir, one of your um, priorities for the command, uh, you have, I think, three key priorities that you have, and people is is one of them. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, in some cases you might say it goes without saying, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be our processes that are going to enable the work to get done. It's not going to be our computers, and anybody who's ever dealt with NMCI knows that that's not going to be the enabler, Right. But it's the people, and, and quite frankly, that's why I go back to my goal is being the pulling guard, someone that removes barriers, because if we can remove the barriers for our people, all the other priorities that we have as an organization will take care of themselves. And if you've got happy people, motivated people, people that are challenged, getting new experience, getting opportunities to train and grow, um, then they'll stay. And if they stay, that makes your job easier, at Elise, um, <laughs> which I know is not an easy job. Um, but, but again, it's the people that drive our success. And so the more quality people we can bring on board, uh, the more people we have on board that we can continue to train and grow, uh, and give opportunities, uh, the better off we're going to be. And, uh, quite frankly, if we can pull that off, then I can go home early. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. You speak about, uh, creating opportunities for people. Um, Vern Hunt said the same thing about how he did that with his Pathway into his position right now just to learn the job. Can you kind of elaborate maybe? Talk about that as far as your experiences or anything that you've seen in the past.
1: So I mean this is gonna sound weird (laughs) Um, But the reason I'm sitting here today and, and was given the opportunity to command NAFAC Southwest Was because along the way somebody took me under their wing and trained me I mean it started with my very first NAFFAC job at Naval Base Ventura County, where a couple of engineers, construction managers, and a couple of engineering technicians brought me aside and said, you don't know anything about this business. You've been on submarines for the last seven years. This is not a submarine, but we're gonna teach you. And they took me aside. They brought me out on project sites. They told me what to look for. One of my contracting officers told me what to pay attention to with respect to the federal acquisition regulations. And several of those people I'm still in contact with today when I run into a problem and I say, oh, I've never seen this one before, but I remember back when they trained me as a young lieutenant, I'll bet they know the answer. And so um, it's people along the way that have shepherded me, mentored me, guided me, people that are still willing to take my phone calls when I call them 15, 20 years later and say, hey, I've got a weird one for you. Have you ever run (laughs) into this? Um, So I think that's huge. The other thing I would say is there's been a couple jobs that I've had that I didn't want. Mm. Um, you know, they call them orders in the Navy, at least for the military. Right. <laughs> um, and there was a couple jobs that I got ordered into that I absolutely positively did not want. And I told my boss and I told the detailer I didn't want them. And then I went there and I had a strong mentor who said, wherever you go, do the best job you can. And in those two particular jobs, I gained a ton of experience that ultimately led to me being effective in a follow-on job that had I not had the one I didn't want, um, I would have never been capable of doing the one that I actually did want.
0: And that reminds me of BD Kathy, right? That's
2: so interesting because Kathy had a similar story when she talked to us about how she ended up in environmental. It was a job that she wasn't expecting and didn't want. So that seems to be a a trend. A trend, exactly. But you have to take advantage of those opportunities as unexpected as they may be.
1: Yeah, and and even in the most difficult job and even if you have the most difficult or the best supervisor, um, you're always going to learn something, right? And I I think I've learned as much uh, in those jobs that I didn't want on, man, how do I survive or what can I grow or what can I take from it? And then a couple positions I've had where um, I've worked underneath a leader that I absolutely could not stand their leadership style, right? But I took that aside and said, okay, these are some things that as a leader – I will never do. And then, oh, by the way, I'm going to ask, you know, Jeff Powell, the XO, or I'm going to ask Kathy Stewart, the business director, hey, if you see me doing these things, pull me aside and say, hey, boss, stop. You've said those aren't the way you want to lead, right? And so um, I think that's important as well, is is finding someone that you're willing to hold hold you accountable, regardless of how junior or senior you are in the organization.
0: Wow. So you mentioned about your leadership. I mean, I kind of want to know, what's your philosophy? How is um, it developed?
1: So, so I, I think, again, part of it's developed by observing people who had really strong leadership styles and emulating those aspects that'll work for me. Right. Some aren't going to work for me. I, I'm never going to be, you know, again, Jeff Powell, who can tell a joke and get everyone laughing. That's, <laughs> that's not me, right? So, so I'm not going to be the comedian. So that's not a leadership style I'm going to be able to do. But but I've watched people who have strong leadership styles. I've picked things that will work for me. As I said, I've watched people who have leadership styles that I can't stand, and I would say I'll never do those. Um, I've, uh, I don't know, I've just tried to continue to grow and evolve. Uh, I would say that my my overall goal, and I'm not there yet, is to be a servant leader, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you go back and look at those people that I've liked the most, they were often asking me, despite the fact that they were my boss, what can I do for you? How can I empower you? How can I give you an, an opportunity to grow? And, and oh, by the way, what do you want to do, right? And then they would listen, and then they would try to find ways to facilitate that, right? And, and so that's my goal is to be a servant leader. I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we all remembered that if we can help our subordinates um, and remove again those obstacles and those barriers, their job becomes easier. And guess what? If their job becomes easier your job becomes easier. Exactly. So. Definitely.
0: A little bit of deja vu, right, at least? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. amazing hearing that, even from our uh, CEO over here.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love to hear that. You know, it really is all, all about the people. So whatever we can do to support and empower them, I'm, I'm all about it.
1: Yeah, I, I would say, again, I've had some jobs I didn't like, but if you can choose a job that you would like, you know, and I did choose this one, <laughs> right? I mean, there are days when I actually can't believe that I'm getting paid to come to work, right? I mean, because... You, you, you come down here and you find out that we just awarded a $100 million project for China Lake following the earthquake, right. and we did that in nine months. That's unheard of. Now, I didn't do much. All I did is cheer the team on, and to the extent I could, remove barriers, right? But, um, you know, so if you've got an opportunity to do a job that it just gets you excited every day, um, that's huge.
2: So. And the the standard timeline on that I know you mentioned they did it in nine months. The standard timeline that on that is usually like three three years.
1: Three years in a perfect process. event, you know. I'd say we're well, on wow. average it's more like five or six. And
2: that team did it in nine months. Yeah, that's wow. amazing. That's yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, it's,
1: <laughs> um, and, and that's and oh, by the way, we, nobody took any other work off our plate. They still had to do the normal work that but we had already planned for that year. Wow.
2: So. Okay. Quick question. I you mentioned earlier um, that you intended to do a four-year tour and then get out of the Navy. So I'm just curious, what convinced you to stay in?
1: Boy, um, to be honest with you, a couple different things. It's timing, it's questions, it's opportunities. Um, When I finished my time on board submarines that were deploying, I was actually working with a recruiter getting out of the Navy, um, and the person that does our assignments called me up and said, Hey, I know you've been at sea for most of your time in the navy if i gave you shore duty in hawaii would you stick around and if you've ever been to hawaii right right (laughs) that's a little piece of heaven right and i had been there for a year and a half and i don't think i'd even been to maybe one other island right so i was like oh yeah absolutely i'll take that um and then while i was on that job again you never know what's going to happen i bumped into someone in the civil engineer corps and i was like well what do you do for a living and he's like, well, I'm a civil engineer corps, which means we either, you know, we're CB, so we go out and build stuff in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment that might be under attack. Um, or we do construction management with NAVFAC, or we do public works, right, which is lighting, utilities, all the things that make a base run or a building run. And uh, I was like, well, my degree's in civil engineering, but I haven't done that since I was in the Navy. I want to do that when I get out of the Navy, so this might be a good transition step. Um, And so I I had a great boss who said, if you really think you want to do that, go spend a couple weeks actually trying to do it. So I went and spent a couple weeks with the public works department and I went and spent a couple or one week with a a FIAD department uh, learning how to manage contracts. I didn't learn a ton, but I learned enough to know that the people that were in that environment enjoyed what they were doing. They were happy about what they were doing. What they were doing made a difference to the Navy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and uh, so I said, I went back to my boss and said, yeah, I definitely want to try to do a transfer. And he was, wow. again, supportive enough to let me try. And then he supported my transition out of the community that he was in into this community. Wow. So it's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool.
2: <laughs> so
0: you mentioned that you're also a submarine guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a- describe that. I've actually never really met someone that worked in that.
1: Environment. um boy how do i try that so uh, i was on two different kinds of submarines okay i was on a ballistic missile submarine and their job is to go out to sea for typically three months at a time okay with ballistic missiles on board and be a deterrent to any of our um enemies that or anybody who might want to attack us to say hey if you attack us we've got this submarine that you can't find and it'll launch against you if you launch against us, right? So especially in the Cold War, but even today, it's a huge deterrent. It's one of the most important things the Navy does is the nuclear deterrent, uh, and then they call it the nuclear triad. And so when you're on board that submarine, you prepare for what you would have to do and what decisions you would make if you were supposed to launch or not launch ballistic missile submarines. Um, And so you go out for three months at a time and you defend our country in a very quiet way. Um, And I found that interesting. And uh, it was, I learned a lot on that first submarine. Um, And then after that, I was able to transition to a fast attack submarine, which are the ones that essentially go out and either hunt ships, hunt submarines to try to destroy them if necessary. Um, And with that, it was a completely different environment. It was really high-paced. We did some really cool operations, including with special forces, um so some of the things that we did obviously i can't tell you about um but it was so amazing that you couldn't believe you were participating in it wow um, and so um you know and then you mix that in with a lot of time being underway with no windows um, <laughs> and so it takes a special kind of person to be willing to do that um but i enjoyed the fact that i did it i learned a ton
0: that was um, your first job out of the that Navy? was my
1: first job right out of rotc so- Right out of college. Oh, right, um, right. I, I, they send you to school for about a year, year and a half, to learn how to run a nuclear reactor and learn some basics about being a submariner before you go to your first sub. And then I, I did that for a few years um, before I went to shore duty. Right. I've been in active duty for 29 years. Wow. So... A little while for someone who thought they were going to do four and well exactly (laughs) (laughs) that was the plan uh but again i go back to if you're having fun why do something else and uh, there's been a couple times based on family situations based on kids um, based on what was you know that my wife and i have had some long discussions about is it time to get out or not and kind of make a list of pros and cons and um, so far we've continued to say the pros outweigh the cons and
0: how are you enjoying Continue, San sir. Diego so far?
1: I love San Diego. <laughs> um, I spent five years in San Diego uh, work with NAFAC, th- uh, three years at Naval Base Point Loma okay, as the public works officer, and then two years partially NAFAC, partially the region as the assistant regional engineer for Navy Region Southwest. Uh, and I love San Diego. I mean, the weather you can't beat. Um, <laughs> you know, the food is also pretty amazing. You can get lots of variety. And you can get some great Mexican food inexpensively, and you know you find those hole-in-the-wall yeah, you places find all right? those <laughs> that <laughs> theoretically nobody else knows about. about <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and there's this huge line. You're going, wow, what? Why, why is that little building that <laughs> got that huge line, right? Yeah. And so my, my family and I love San Diego. Uh, my family has spent six years here because I did one year deployed to Diego Garcia okay. uh, while my family was still here, um, and my wife calls it home now. My children call it home. Don't we all? Yeah. (laughs) So it's going to take probably dynamite to try to get my wife to leave here
0: and go somewhere else. I also kind of wanted to know your year being here. Do you have any special memories?
1: Um, Boy, there's so many that I that I can't even begin to describe. So, uh, so so I'll do one that that you know just relatively recently. um, We finished a lease arrangement with a private entity that's going to build a floating dry dock and that floating dry dock will most likely be able to provide um, repairs to our vessels and there's not enough ship repairs uh, capability on the west coast at all but definitely not in san diego and so we ended worked a really innovative deal uh, real estate arrangement where we're going to get some in-kind consideration so they're actually going to pay us a little bit um, as and, which is uh, pretty cool but we're also providing a capability to the fleet that didn't cost the u.s taxpayer a penny right there was no milcon required no repair project required we just leveraged our land to meet a capability requirement of the navy Um, and and so and that was a really innovative team it took the whole team it took our environmental people it took our planners it took our real estate folks um, it took a lot of leadership involvement to get us across the finish line uh, but at the end of the day we have did something really innovative that it's rare uh, and we've got a couple other ones like that in the hopper that we're working on trying to create some wins for the united states navy and again it, at minimal or no taxpayer um, cost the, the other one that was that, that I, again just really cool is our public works business line and again with real estate with environmental and with public works business line um, and contracting recently put in place a deal that we're going to at uh, Naval Weapons Steel Beach. We're gonna put in a a photovoltaic farm. We're gonna use a piece of our land. And in exchange for using our land for a private developer to put that on our land, they're gonna put in um, emergency generators to provide additional resiliency to the base. If we ever have a power outage at that base, we'll have the first right of the power that comes off of that photovoltaic capability and its batteries. And, again, that's one that's not costing us a penny. We're just leveraging our land and working with a private entity to improve the Navy's overall cost and resiliency. And, you know, we've got three or four other things just like that in the hopper. Um, and then, again, it's the people that are behind this stuff, working it day in and day out, that they run into a problem, they figure out a solution, and they just keep charging. It's, uh, it's impressive. That's
0: great. Do you have anything else?
2: Uh, no, that's uh, I. I love hearing this kind of stuff because you know even I don't really get to hear all that much about some of the projects that go on, right? I'm, yeah, <laughs> they don't let me out much. <laughs> no, but it's it's great to hear that. And, uh, do you have um Do you want to talk a little bit about what some of your priorities are that you've laid out for your leadership team to accomplish some of the great things that that you've just been talking about?
1: Um, sure. Um, first and foremost, one of my priorities, and it goes back to the people piece, is safety. Right. Um, Unlike our sailors and marines that go downrange, put themselves in harm's way, may end up having to take a bullet to support our freedom, Um, our workforce in general does not have to do that, right? And so it's really important to me that every one of our workforce goes home in as good or better condition than they came to work in. Um, And that can only happen if we have a strong, effective safety program. We're very lucky, we got Jennifer Dunaway and a really strong team that are passionate about safety and they've put in in place um, some safety programs that we're exporting not only within our organization but across the NAFAC enterprise um, to improve safety and so to me that's one of my absolute priorities because um, we no no greater way to negatively impact mission than to have a critical person on our team get hurt and be out for an injury right Um, so that's one of my uh, priorities um, from an overall perspective um, working through the rest of the china lake work i mean congress appropriated 3.2 billion dollars um, in repair construction equipment funds to recapitalize that base after the earthquake and that's huge and it's a couple year effort and we're about a year into it right july 4th and july 6th last year were when the earthquakes were um, and uh, so we made a lot of progress and they're back to partially mission capable at china lake and our team is going to work through the next couple of years to make sure that they are fully mission capable, and quite frankly, probably even improve their capabilities by some of the efficiencies and effectiveness that we're going to put in place through our construction.
0: We really want a representative from China Lake to really yes, talk yeah. on this
1: podcast. So oh much. yeah, you got to get Pete Benson, the PWO. <laughs> uh, he, he a, he's a rock <laughs> yeah. star.
2: I'm tr- uh, we've been trying to get uh, Jennifer and Earl to come on. Talk oh about yeah, they, they've been. I mean,
1: yeah. since probably day one after the earthquake, they've had they've rolled up their it. shirt sleeves yeah. and been in it. And they are, I mean, talk about things that make you excited, right? Those two have been so passionate and making such a positive difference wow. in every aspect hear. of that program. Mm-hmm. And they're still, I mean, if you you can ask almost any question about any aspect in any project that we're doing at China Lake um, that are in the in the works, and one of those two, if not both, can answer it. it two really impressive individuals that work for us.
2: Definitely agree. Yeah. So,
1: um, Another thing that's a priority for me is trying to figure out how do we Survive this financial transition, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you couldn't make it any harder. We mm-hmm. decided to change two of our financial systems for two new systems. And we decided to can change completely how we charge supported commands and how we get funded with, from supported commands all in the same year. And it's been a huge burden for our financial team. It's been a huge burden <laughs> for our uh, PAs out there. Um, but on the other hand, we're knock on wood, we're not getting calls from any of our supporter commands saying, you're not providing mission support. I'm not getting what materials I need, my buildings aren't operating, the projects aren't getting done. So despite the fact that our folks are working tons of overtime, very stressed, um, we're working through it. And and in several of things again, so going back to, you know, victories and things that make you excited. You know, our team came up with a process in the new financial system, which we've never been exposed to before. Um, and we found a different way to use a module that had never been used to do contracting directly. And the way our team came up with that solution is saving the, uh, the NAFAC enterprise 6,000 financial transactions minimum a year. All because of the innovation that our team here did. Wow. Uh, you know, Jolene uh, Robinson, Lucy Drew, uh, Lieutenant Brett Anstett, who we stole from the field to help us work through some of these problems. Again, probably a job he didn't want, uh, but he's making us money because of his innovation and the way he thinks. Um, and so again, uh, really hard problem set, but a team that's figuring it out, working through it, um, and, and again, blows me away every day and makes me proud to be able to serve him with them.
0: That's really good to hear. I know you've been to a lot of the the installations around here. And I just kind of want to get your thoughts on each one of them. Right. Right? Yeah,
1: so so one of the things that you'll figure out about the probably 19 sites that we support, right? 10 Navy bases, eight Marine Corps bases, Travis. Um, each and every one of them supports a different aspect of the Navy or Marine Corps or Air Force's mission set. And so when you go to each one of those sites, what they provide to the United States is different um, the, how, the, how big they are, the concentration of workforce, the type of mission sets that occur there are different at each site, which means that some of our workforce are more robust, some of them are smaller, some of them have a skill set that no other site has. Um, but again, each and every time you go there, especially when you start going out and looking at the projects they're doing and interacting with the supporter commands that we support, um, to a person, they wouldn't trade their public works team. Uh, for anyone else in the Navy or in the world in most places. Um, The mission sets at each one are very impressive. And so, you know, Naval Base Coronado, it's got an airfield. It's got aircraft carriers that come in. It's got Special Warfare. It's got, um, you know, Amphibious Construction Battalion, a huge different mild set. Plus, it's got a bunch of satellite base or sites that it's responsible for. Naval Base San Diego, probably one of the largest concentration of ships uh, it, well, definitely on the on the West Coast, um, and you know the mission sets that occur there are just impressive, um, and, and it's got growing mission sets as well. Right, um, you know you go up to Naval Base Ventura County, and you've got the art research and development aspect that um, NSWC does up there, uh, and then uh, not only that, but Navair has a, a amazing, uh, and then there's new air platforms that are coming in there because we figured out that we do have a slightly underutilized asset. So there's additional aircraft that are coming to Naval Base Ventura County. At least from a research and development perspective, there's additional unmanned vehicles, both uh, submersibles and surface vessels, that are going to go there and do research and development. It's also the home of the United States Seabees, right? At least one half of them. The other half's in, in Biloxi, but in our AOR, it's the biggest concentration of Seabees. Um, so just an amazing diverse uh, amount of mission sets there. You go up to monterey and that's you know where the naval postgraduate school is and that's where we train our leaders um, both civilians and military to continue to think strategically to grow personally so they can be the future leaders of the navy um you know really cool mission sets i mean china lake the, the ranges out there are amazingly large all kinds of cool research and development that happens both on stuff that's future mission platforms and then current mission platforms that need to continue to get uh, tested, developed, before they're actually put on aircraft, or if they're doing a new module to an aircraft, um, so that it, or a weapon system, so that it'll work. Um, you know, so again, a, a unique set. You go down to El Centro, again, there's some special ranges down there that they do things on. The Blue Angels are there, that's where they train. Uh, huge, huge opportunities. A lot of, uh, like the Australians come there and do some training there, because it's the only place they can do the training they do. Um, so. Another great uh, base, another great platform. Um, uh, NAS Fallon, you know, tons of strike fighters up there, plus, again, some unique range capabilities, One, and that's another area that we're trying to grow, right? Uh, we've got a huge range up there, and we're trying to incre- in, in, increase our range complex, um, working closely with uh, the, the state of Nevada, um, the, B- the Bureau of Land Management, and others, to, again, meet our Navy's future and current capabilities required to train uh, our, our strike fighters, Lamor, another air base. Again, tons of aircraft up there. JSF, um, and then we support a bunch of Marine Corps installations too, right? So right. you got Miramar up the street with a, with some JSF and, a, and some helicopters and Osprey, etc. Camp Pendleton, probably the largest or second largest Marine Corps base in the world. Uh, First MEF is is up there, and all kinds of training opportunities. So I mean, uh, you know, you just keep going around our right. AOR, and uh, every single one of our bases has really one-of-a-kind, uh, unique mission sets and assets that occur there. Um, and our people enable right. that to occur every day. Um, Support and so, the mission. Yeah. Oh. And, and so I, I would just uh, encourage for those people that work in our core, you know, down in the San Diego metro area, to the extent you can get out and really get your boots onto the ground for what's going on in the field, it'll make you um, more passionate about every single thing you do. Uh, whether it's it. whether it's hiring, whether it's financial, whether it's contracting, whether it's an environmental assessment, whether it's a study, um, whether it's a real property uh, inventory, all of that becomes uh, much more, uh, in my point, real um, when you can go out and see the sailors and Marines that are using the fruits of our efforts. Right. So...
0: Um, uh, Any last words you would like to say?
1: Yeah, so I I would just like to challenge everybody that works for us and everybody who is thinking about working for us um, that what we do is not just a job. Uh, All of our military, all of our civilians have raised their right hand, uh, taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. I take that very seriously. Again, um, that's part of what makes me passionate about sticking around. That's part of the reason I've stuck around for 29 years. Is because it's bigger than me. It's bigger than us, um, and it's absolutely essential to our nation. And uh, if if we don't lose sight of that, then it kind of drives that mission piece, the why we serve. And if you keep that in mind, even the even when you have to deal with bureaucracy, even when you get confronted with something that's hard, and you get the curveball that makes your job or your day harder than expected, um, it it motivates you. It's an internal motivator. So I would just ask everyone take that oath seriously. Um, And this may sound callous, but if you don't take it seriously, go ahead and look for a job somewhere else. I don't want to lose people, but I want the people that work here to be passionate about what we do and to know that what you do is important for our nation.
2: Thanks for your time, sir.
1: All right. My pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of The Sweep. If you want to know more about NAFAC Southwest, check out our website at nafacnavymil forward slash SWCareers. We have a lot of exciting new opportunities to join the team and learn about all the great things we do to help our facilities. Join us again soon for another episode, and we'll see you on the next one.